Welcome one, welcome all, welcome to another episode of Fan Team Radio. I am your host, Shyam Khan, joined as always by my co-host, Chris Odi Odorizzi. And for the third week in a row, we are joined by Nadim Abha. I'm not even going to call him a special guest anymore. Today, we're going to be breaking down the 2023 uh, Brazil Grand Prix in Sao Paulo. We're going to be talking about the chaotic start to start, uh, the race with six drivers out when it was all said and done. We're going to be talking about the tough stuff from Norris and Alonso today and what that means for McLaren and Aston Martin for the rest of the season and 2024. We're also going to be talking about Mercedes and their unimpressive weekend and the drawbacks to the W14. Guys, what's up? Hey guys, how's it going? Hey Nadine, welcome back again. Uh, hello, hello, hello. An- another week that proves that sprint races are incredibly pointless and totally worthless to the sport. Because I don't remember what happened again. <laughs> yeah, disjointed <laughs> is the word that comes to mind. Disjointed. I agree. What a mess. What a mess. <laughs> hey. I mean, do you guys, do you guys want to start there for a quick suck? Yeah, let's talk about messes. I mean... You know, we've we've talked about this at length before, Chris and Nadim. You'll you'll catch on as well. The sprint format is still very kind of up in the air. There's not a whole lot of kind of synergy between the sprint race, the qualifying for the sprint race, the actual qualifying practices, and then the actual uh, game. I'm sorry, the actual race day, and we got to experience a little bit of that up close in person um, at Austin. But do you guys think that? they're going to change the format at all going into next year. It seems to be a pretty popular consensus that there's really no flow to the weekend that they have sprint races. Yeah. I think uh, like as a live attendee, when we were in Austin, I think it was fun to have more stuff to watch and do, but I think just in general for the sport, it doesn't add a lot. And then I do think there will be changes next year, but I don't think that they will fix anything. And I think it will take multiple consecutive years of complaints for them to either get rid of it or massively change it. But I'm not hopeful because all they care about is ratings. And if more, you know people... what they they were suggesting? Yeah, what's you up? Know, I'm sorry, Chris. Uh, just to just because I'm I'm sure this would light a fire under your butt. You know what they were suggesting to do to incentivize like the championship for the sprint races? They're Talking about adding like a million dollars to the bucket for whoever wins the sprint championship, as if that is going to be enough to to kind of get the needle moving. Um, it's 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 kind of ridiculous that that would even be a suggestion. Like one million dollars, like like Doctor Evil, like it it just. I, I'm hoping that they do the reverse grid, but I'd love to get y'all's thoughts on would million dollars be enough to 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 make you excited as a fan like is that something that you would like tune into because like some winner of the race is going to get a million dollars or is there something else like would a reverse grid be something that you'd be interested in watching would it actually get you to the table is there like something else that you guys have in mind that could be a good replacement for uh for sprint races wait are you talking about a million dollars per race or for like the championship of the year of sprint for the championship of the year of sprint races oh worthless who gives a shit (laughs) yeah. <laughs> uh, sprints um, I mean I love and hate them and I think man maybe I don't know why this doesn't occur and maybe you guys can shed some light on it but why why can't they change it to where you can make adjustments because if you can make adjustments it makes it interesting but if but why why can't you make adjustments from sprint what do you mean by to, adjustments to the car once out you, of, once... he means out of park for me like into where yeah. using the sprint as a practice like I think exactly. We, we could talk more about this throughout the this episode, which we talked about basically not talking about sprint, and now like this has risen to the surface. I knew, these... I knew it's a Venus flytrap. I knew it's a Venus flytrap for us. It's, <laughs> it's just all these emotions. It's hard to not shit talk it, uh, since it is so hapless. I, I don't even know I, if that's the the right word, but I'm kind of at a loss for words for 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 this these sprint races. It it. You know, you guys probably uh, have heard about the NBA uh, kind of initiating a, you know, in-season tournament, which is, you know, has been also received with mixed feelings from from the audience. But I think the NBA is going to test it out uh, until it formalizes it. And, and, you know, it still adheres to the to the typical NBA rules. But 
you know, it's still going to take some time for people to kind of get on board with it. Maybe even a whole new generation of fans altogether that doesn't know any, you know, that doesn't know a world without it. Um, so maybe that's something that could happen is, uh, you know, once this older crowd of F1 fans pre sprint races get phased out, the new generation of F1 fans won't know any, you know, anything else, but, you know, seasons with sprint races on it. So that, that could be, you know, a, a really, uh, uh, lackluster kind of future for sprint races. They keep exactly everything as it is and they just force the fans hands into, into enjoying it. Uh, but I think, you know, going into 2024, there definitely needs to be some sort of change or at least put qualifying and, and the race on consecutive days and then put sprint races on Friday and at least have some like cohesion to, to how that plays out. Um, but I, I don't want to spend too much time on this guys. Let, let's get into the episode. So we'll, we'll start with, uh, the kind of chaotic race to, to this, uh, this week. It's, uh, you know, probably the most chaotic start to a race since Australia back in April. Uh, some of the same cast, uh, showed up in our DNFs, uh, Charles Leclerc, Kevin Magnuson, Alex Albon, George Russell, all DNF'd back in Australia and did so again, uh, this week in, um, in Brazil, uh, I'll break it down real quick, and I'd love to get y'all's thoughts on it. So Leclerc, before the race even started, uh, fell out with uh, hydraulic issues. Uh, he was pretty mad at himself, and I think it's the first time I've heard him kind of blame his bad luck as opposed to just himself. So maybe there's some progress there where he's just falling into a lapse of depression as we speak. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Magnuson makes contact with Alex Albon in lap one, uh, or even before they get to lap one. Uh, so they're they're both out. Uh, Zhou Guan Yu has engine failure in lap 22. Um, Valtteri Bottas uh, has hydraulic issues in lap 39. So both uh, Alfa Romeos are retired. Uh, Russell experiences a power unit issues in lap 57. And luckily, Daniel Ricciardo and Piastri, who are also kind of tagged out, were able to fix their cars during the first red flag of the race. Guys, what do you think? Chris, I'll start with you. What do you think of uh, the kind of the 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 DNFs? Who, who got impacted the most, do you think? I mean... Obviously, Charles Leclerc had like uh, super bad luck. I think he lost hydraulics, put it into the wall. And I just feel bad for the guy. You feel this dejection from him. Like, kind of like, I finally made it to Ferrari, but why the hell am I in Ferrari? Like, <laughs> I got to get something better for my life. Like, I'm a good looking dude. I'm rich. I'm a good driver. Why can't I be in the championship winning car? Although, I have a crazy theory that Ferrari is going to end up second in the driver's championship, which is, or in the construction championship, which is, you know, his luck's obviously not that bad, but um, yeah, I mean, like Russell DNFing honestly didn't have a lot of huge impact for me just because their car was kind of nowhere this weekend. We'll talk more about that. Um, yeah. And like you said, Ricardo and Piastri are able to fix their cars, but also Sonoda. I don't know if you saw it, but the Mac, the tire, I think from Albon like smashed into Sonoda's rear wing. And uh, he was lucky that there was a red flag as well, uh, being able to fix it. But yeah, I think the biggest loser is a clerk, which just happened before the race even started. Um, everybody else kind of, kind of back of the pack besides Russell, but um yeah, what a crazy start to a race. I was kind of expecting a little bit more fireworks, but um, mostly midfielders who got knocked out. Yeah, Nadim, what uh, what are your thoughts on who's this impacted the most? Yeah, I think uh, I think what really jumped out to me was of all of the six DNFs, um, well, five DNFs and one DNS, um, I think five of them are Ferraris, right? You've got the two Alphas, which have Ferrari engines. You have a Haas with the Ferrari, Ferrari themselves. I think the Ferrari power units were having the trouble, just uh, especially the the Alphas, because they, they went out a little later on um, in the race um, due to mechanical problems. Um, so you have three Ferraris with mechanical problems, one before the race even starts. Um, I think that's that's something that Ferrari should look into and see what's going on there. Because um, that definitely trickled down, and that caused a lot of, at least half of the grid that dropped off. Um, and then the rest of them, I think, um, uh, Chris, what you said, it was just the middle of the pack. Uh, it was a touch and go with the spinoff and collateral damage. And I think you just couldn't avoid that. Um, one thing I do have to say, and I think Ricardo brought this up, was... Um, how they deal with red flags and with 
crashes on the first lap and letting uh, letting teams fix their cars up. Because if it was 15 cars that would have crashed, um, would you continue a five-car F1 Grand Prix? You know, at what point do you let them and give them a chance to fix their cars so that you can have an actual race? So I think that that's something that kind of popped up to me where they don't really have an answer for that. What do you guys think? I mean, I could definitely see an ending like Talladega Nights, whereas just Ricky Bobby and John Pierre are the only two drivers <laughs> running out of their cars to the track and then, you know, just making out at the end. Uh, I could definitely see that uh, with how the FI kind of conducts their rules and, and kind of the arbitrary uh, nature of, of how they oversee, how the stewards oversee races. Um, I think th- if it's more than half the grid, like, that's the thing, right? That's the, that's the thing about FIA and F1. It, everything's so arbitrary. Maybe they'll stop at a weird-ass number, like seven, you know? like, And they'll be like, oh, yeah, like in Brazil, seven seems like a lucky number to stop at, guys. But like in Abu Dhabi, they don't believe in luck because, you know, we're going to just cap out whenever we cap out. It, it, I, I Honestly, Nadim, I couldn't tell you, man. It just based on like how the FIA and, the, and F1 kind of like addresses the situation uh individually as opposed to having a standardized kind of rule that oversees all of them i feel like it could range anywhere from you know six cars seven cars being out in australia it was eight cars you know um and 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 more than half the grid i guess they're 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 gonna tolerate it so i mean the race must go on nadim the race must go on what do you what do you think chris my feeling is like maybe i'm the uh, the standalone here but I think if 15 cars crash, then we should have a five car race. Like, I think it is what it is. Uh, I think there's precedent for it too. Like, I can't, like, obviously I wasn't watching at the time, but there was a race where a bunch of teams like boycotted the tire manufacturer. I think only five or six teams actually started the race. Um, there wasn't that many cars on the track. I, forget, I think it was, I think it might have been awesome. Anyways, I can't remember, but there was precedent for having uh only a few cars on the grid for a race and you know it is what it is like um i the only thing that i want to see change which doesn't relate to this is when people like pit under like vsc or safety car and then a red flag gets thrown and then the orders like change i think that they should reinstate the order from the lap before if they if they escalate from like a vsc to a red flag um because otherwise you get completely screwed in that situation um i think i when people make decisions based on the stewards or the FIA or race controls inability to make decisions on the fly, then you need to like allow people to, to, you have to allow people perfect information to make decisions and not just be like, Oh, we changed our minds to affect the outcome. Like in Abu Dhabi or in other scenarios, it's just gotta be fair for everybody. So, but yeah, I think if a bunch of people crash out now, Maybe there should be limitations to what they can or can't fix, like obviously change tires or whatever. But I don't think you should be able to rebuild the car under red flag condition. So I don't know what the rules are, but dig deeper into them. But yeah, I'm down for a five car race as long as. Yeah, it's... I agree. I mean, I don't think you should change any, like, don't build a brand new car in Park Fermi, you know? Yeah. But some level of, okay, we should, we should be able to put together these these pieces or drive it back or whatever and then see if we can fix it and then it goes back to what you were saying with the with the you know vsc and a red flag right after it's the the bottom the bottom line to all these is decision making by the fia it's what determines exactly what's going to happen and what shyam was saying was you know the race must go on and i think that's why we have these conversations is because no matter what how the FIA governs this is always going to be this conflict between race go on or try to be as fair as possible and somebody's going to get screwed in between, you know? Well, it reminds me of, uh, what, what about like uh, Hamilton and Silverstone when he when he almost killed Max? My, my boy, he almost killed my boy. <laughs> but like uh, <laughs> there was a lot of people got really angry at the fact that there was a red flag because then he was able to basically patch up all the damage to his car and then continue in the race as if like the accident never happened. Um, so situations like that are interesting. Like, I don't know what the answer is as long. The only thing that I care about is that if it's consistent, I just want consistency. 
across the board. I want people to know what the situation is as they're making decisions and for the FAA to stop changing things left and right. But I but think isn't the rule, the steward- isn't the rule, isn't the rule like, uh, once, so isn't the rule like if you can break, get your car to park firm aid, then you can patch it, right? Yeah, I mean, as long as the car gets to the pit lane on the own accord, then yeah, I just, like, I don't know if there's limitations to what they can or can't patch. I'm not that knowledgeable on the subject, but yeah. Uh, Go ahead, Shane. No, I mean, I, I was going to say, um, in terms of who I thought it kind of impacted more or less, uh, is Alex Albon. Uh, I think he was on pace to probably get to, uh, you know, a pretty, at least, uh, you know, with all the six DNFs, he would have gotten, you know, probably somewhere in the top 10, uh, given the fact that, you know, Lance Stroll was able to get in the top 10. I, I think that Alex Albon would have had a really good chance to to, to slot in there. Uh, missed out on points. Um, not that it means a whole lot for Williams' season, but just for Alex Albon's trajectory as a as not just a driver with with steady points, but but also a driver who has a, a reputation of being a really clean driver and really uh, getting the most out of his tire life and his car and not really, you know, racking up the bills for the team. So, you know, I, I will just kind of put that in there before I forget that I, I honestly think that out of everyone, it definitely affected Charles the, the most kind of just, you know, you could hear the disappointment and like the distraught in, in his voice. Um, but then, it, you know, I, I think, closely right after that is probably going to be someone like Alex Albon, who is really trying to make a name for himself to go into another uh, team. And I think, although this wouldn't really hinder that, I think it was just, uh, you know, kind of disappointing to see him not be able to finish the race or really compete. Uh, I think that car would have done really well in Brazil on a short track, uh, fast speeds um, uh, with, with him at the helm. So I was really looking forward to that, quite honestly, this race, but you know, uh, you get what you get. So let's uh, pivot uh, into uh, the some of the winners for this week. So so standouts being uh, Lando Norris and and uh, Mr. Uh, Fernando Alonso, who just used pretty much all of his experience and showcased it today, um, or not today, but but this weekend, and really helped both their teams get back into the top five in points. I would love to hear you guys' thoughts on McLaren and Aston Martin, uh, but we, let's start with Norris and Fernando Alonso. What were your, uh, you know, standout thoughts on 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 this? Uh, Chris, let's start with you. So, uh, Lando has been massively outperforming my expectations uh, the last few races. Like ever since Oscar won the sprint ahead of him, I feel like some sort of fire has been lit under his ass, and he's been going crazy. I mean, there was at one point in this race where Lando and Max were like 35 to 38 seconds ahead of the rest of the field, which is just insane, uh, which is proving that McLaren either has the pace of the Red Bull or a very similar pace, or it's just the drivers because they were just like a massive gap between them and the rest of the field. And there was that one uh, lap where Lando was on Max's gearbox into turn one and into turn four. And there was actually a potential opportunity for a pass. And we haven't seen that in a very long time for someone putting pressure on a max like that. So I, I'm super impressed with Lando. Um, one thing that I was actually really irritated at the, um, the announcers for was after the max's pit stop, there was a few at the end of the race, there was a few laps where Lando was staying out on his mediums to maybe see if he could have the pace just to like stay ahead of him and win the race. When they saw that that gap was closing, Lando pit for softs to count to you know to follow Max's strategy, and I think there was 14 seconds between the two cars, and he cut it down to eight in just a few laps. And I was like, "He's freaking catching Max here," and no one is talking about it. Obviously, we had that amazing race between Sergio and Alonso going on, and you know Norris is just closing the gap, but he was taking over a second a lap away from Max, and I was like. This could be interesting at the end. Obviously, it didn't end up being. I think maybe his tires fell off or whatnot. Uh, but either way, super impressive from Lando. And then, of course, Fernando the Lion. What a great drive by him. Uh, super impressed with him all around. I'll talk more about it when we get into to Sergio and Alonso. But, uh, you know, Alonso's back, man. Like, he kind of fell off for a little bit. And now here he has returned. And I'm, you know... 
Uh, I don't know what it means for the Aston Martin car because it kind of looked nowhere the last couple of races, but uh, super great performance by them in Sao Paulo. Yeah, I mean, uh, what, a, what a performance by Alonso. And I'll be the first to say it because I've been extremely critical of Aston Martin. This is what they needed, and they did it. And the, Alonso showed what this car can do. And on top of that, um, really kind of showed his skill set. And my, and it's funny, we were joking about this last episode, but imagine if he had that Red Bull rocket ship, what it would be like. Oh, that would be, that, I think that was a, a nice prelude to what could possibly be if he were to be uh, D2 for Red Bull. But hopefully one day we can always cross fingers. Uh, and then Norris, I think Norris uh, from Mexico, his pace when after the red flag in Mexico and how he caught up to the grid, he's been showing what the car's pace is. I think you're absolutely right. We also talked about it previous episodes with Piastri. As soon as Piastri started pushing him and nudging him, he has really taken off and is on his own stride, is doing amazing. Um, it's really showing that pace. And it's funny to me because uh, I was expecting Mercedes to be close to Verstappen, but it was Norris and McLaren, even though they have the same power unit. So I guess we'll talk into that later and touch on it. But um, just how the grid kind of lined up was interesting at the very tail end of it. Um, and it really showed the, especially for people that don't watch F1, um, to understand how the aerodynamics of a car are so important. It's regardless of the power unit. Um, I think this really showcased that. Yeah, I think, you know, um, kind of piggybacking off of what you said earlier about uh, Ferrari's power unit and and kind of how that cascaded across Alfa Romeo uh, and Haas. Um, I think the opposite effect kind of happened with Mercedes, unfortunately, this week. And we'll talk about it a little bit more in this next segment. But, you know, uh, the, the Mercedes was the only Mercedes powertrain that was doing uh, not so well this this week. Uh, but going back to Norris, I think, you know, he's gained position back into the top five in the world um, championship standings. Uh, still, you know, heavily behind the, the, the front runners, but uh, definitely uh, a win for him, all things considered, especially how the year started started uh with the car missing its marks and then i think there's three starts to the race i believe right guys uh he he had an incredible uh off the line for every single start you know and and kept on verstappen's heels uh for for at least the first part and then verstappen obviously pulled away but uh you know last week we talked about how uh you know we called into question lando norris's ability to be kind of um more in the fighting mode i think he probably listened to that episode and, and heard our our cries and and shaped up this week and was able to take it to max uh chris that that once uh that that one move that he had to potentially take over max that actually had me at the edge of my seat for a little while but then i realized how fast max actually is and that this is a futile effort but either way it was incredible to see uh the mclaren at least put some sort of fire under max's butt uh, and I think that, you know, this maybe brings Norris, definitely brings Norris back in the, in the bright light uh, where I think some of that was cascading over to, to Oscar, uh, which is which is fine. Right. I think signs of a, of a healthy um, uh, driver coupling. And I, I'm, I'm curious to see if this is something that is just track specific, uh, not only for McLaren, but also for Aston Martin, or if this is going to be something that continues into Las Vegas, uh, Vegas, I believe, has 16 chicanes uh, and a couple of big straight straightaways, which is going to make it difficult for, for Mercedes. But it seems like McLaren and Aston Martin have straight line speed. So maybe, you know, if they can just overcome those chicanes, uh, they, they, they'd probably, you know, be positioned for, for pole uh, uh, again in, in, um, in Las Vegas. Any other, any other thoughts, guys, on McLaren and, and Aston Martin? Hey man, something you guys want to touch on Lance Stroll for a sec? Yeah, I mean, kind of semi-impressive performance from Lance Stroll. I thought it was funny in the in the interview that he had that he was like talking about potentially podium him and keeping the place. I was just like, eh, don't get ahead of yourself here. But impressive. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, um, 
you know, for whatever it's worth, I think Lance actually does really well in the wet. Um, and when there's like wet slippery conditions, he's always been able to actually outperform himself in those conditions. So I think that played a big part in his uh, top three. Um, but yeah, still impressive to go from third and keep to that fifth spot. Um, uh, you know, it was a it was a pretty good weekend for Aston Martin overall. It might have been very track dependent, uh, but we'll see what the rest of the season brings for them. But on on the McLaren, I just want to touch a little bit on like where has Oscar been? It just kind of feels like it was like him and Norris like back to back and races kind of passing each other, bumping each other, trying to figure out who's going to win this. And kind of Oscar's been in Noberland. Obviously, he had a little bit of contact on lap one, which might have played in a part in this, but it just, he just doesn't seem to have had the pace in the last uh, race or two. So uh, hopefully that's temporary because I really like the guy and I want to see him uh, get more podiums and potentially race win uh, next year. So uh, I don't know what's happened to him. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on Oscar. I don't think it's cause for concern. Uh, he's young. He actually outperformed all of our expectations. So, so yeah, I guess if you're still holding him to that yardstick, then yeah, then he has declined a little bit. But if you kind of take a step back a little bit further and just kind of uh, under, you know, uh, not but appreciate the fact that he is still a rookie. I, I think you know it's not a cause for concern. I don't think the team has abandoned him in any way. I think they'll find what worked for Norris on this car and see if they can replicate it on Oscar's car and kind of see if they can meet, uh, meet in the middle in in terms of his driving style. Um, I still think that the car itself probably had issues for for Oscar after that contact uh and then being in the back with uh you know driving next to daniel which is actually kind of cool to see uh the two aussies driving alongside each other but um i think it's just an anomaly for this season uh i think he'll bounce back um i can definitely see him doing some cool stuff in vegas since it'll be everyone's first time on that track what do you think about oscar i mean what i've noticed uh and this is across the board is the uh the gaps between the D1 driver and the D2 driver for a lot of the teams. You look at Max and Sergio, you look at Oscar and Norris, you look at um, just going down the grid and you start seeing uh, uh, Alonso and Stroll. And so I wonder if when they actually build these cars, are they building it to where 80% of the cars designed around the D1 driver and then 20% is where the D2 gets the input? And is that, is that a reason why you see that that big of a gap in terms of results? Or is it a 50-50 split? Or is it there's a core build and then there's little, little uh, ancillary things that you can do to then tailor it to each driver? I'm curious to see how that plays out when they're developing a car. Yeah, I don't really know, but I, I bet you there's something to that. Um... And, you know, that kind of almost defeats the purpose of having a D2 driver half the time. But uh, unless you have two very similar driving styles um, or like two very similar builds and driving styles, because when you have two people that are very different in height, you have to build the car and like seat position is awkward for two different drivers. So, yeah, there's probably something to that. But uh, I do agree that the gaps between most of the D1s and D2s are starting to widen here at the end of the season. But uh, two races left, so uh, everything will be a fresh start going into next year. So let's see. Let's see. Yeah, I think it's I think it's it's a situation by situation for each team. Uh, last year, you know, they pretty much got Lewis to do all the testing for every new upgrades, which gave George a lot of consistency. He was able to place P five. So I think there's a um, there's a place and time for it, right? I think anything before George, they would have done the testing on Valtteri's car and then uh, popped it over to Lewis as if it worked. I think depending on how prestigious the D2 is, they'll probably take, it'll probably be a split, something like you mentioned, Nadim, where it's like 85-15, something to that effect. But if the split is where the entire team is galvanized behind someone like a Max Verstappen and not so much behind someone like Sergio Perez, then I can definitely see that being more of like a 95-5 split or something to that effect. Uh, but for teams like like McLaren and Ferrari, where, you know, arguably they they are a little bit more closely pitted against each other, both in size and in, you know, just performance. Um that I think that's where the team that that's probably why you 
the the team should have the auto uh, the autonomy to dictate which one they they want to go after. But then if the cards were to change like like they did in Ferrari's instance, I'd be curious to see if they start saying like, all right, like Carlos is going to start getting like forty five percent, thirty percent, something you know more uh, uh, down the middle. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, I guess honestly, we're not supposed to know probably, right? Uh, they keep this these <laughs> conversations lock and key. But if I were to venture and and guess and and just kind of based on my knowledge of of how uh, you know the, the the cultures of of these teams, right? And me and Chris have talked about this at length early on in the in the show. Is is just the the culture of each team kind of dictates uh, how they you know, do their decision-making process and in something like a Mercedes situation where they have a seven-time world champion and someone who's incredibly vetted like like Russell and has been a part of their family for a while, I can see the split being a little bit more, you know, uh, uh, there's more parity in the split. But then if you have a team like Williams where it's clearly Alex Albon's team, uh, you know, Logan probably doesn't have like, he could probably give some input as to like what went wrong with the car and they, they'll do whatever they can to kind of curate a better car for for logan's specs but when it's said and done i think there's a lot of money that you also have to worry about because if you give them a completely bespoke car then you know how much engineering cost goes into all of that right so and i do think there are certain parts of the car that do have to remain standardized like the drivetrain and like chassis and things like that so so maybe those are are going to favor more the uh, the D1 driver, right? If it's a little oversteery, understeery, like those kinds of things, I think are going to fall into the D1's favor. Uh, but if you're a variable D2 or or a D2 like that's putting up consistent points and and is an asset to the team, then I don't know. Maybe maybe there is uh some room for for everyone to have uh a discussion about what should be going on with both cars. Uh, but 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 it's a good that's a good topic, Nadim. I'd, I'd actually be curious to dig into that a little bit more and kind of find out what how each team kind of uh, administers those changes to the cars and and who it favors more. Yeah. Cool, guys. Well, let's uh let's turn our attention to uh, Mercedes. Uh, um, really, um, you know, a, a weekend to forget for them. Started with qualifying, and, and you know, it, it kind of. It, persisted through sprint uh and then the the race itself was kind of a, a dumpster fire um you know i have a couple of thoughts on this i'll start off you guys with uh just a, a couple of quotes from from toto wolf uh post race uh you know uh flat line he just said this car doesn't deserve a win um quote i think straight line speed was one issue but probably not the main factor the main factor was that we couldn't go around the corners with a bigger wing with the pace we needed and we were killing the tires, just eating them up within a few laps End quote, slow straight line speed, rear tire degradation happened every single time that Hamilton decided to change his tires on the softs and mediums. Both drivers are overtaken by Perez after both stops, both Aston Martins overlapped them signs overlaps them at a certain point, Pierre Gasly overlaps them. And even when you get into the pit lanes, there's relatively slower pit times than Red Bull and McLaren uh, and Aston Martin. Uh, you know, towards the end of the race, uh, when uh, Lewis's engineer came on asking him to push the car, uh, he laughs at it, says, dude, I've been pushing for the last five laps. So, uh, you know, you can hear it in the disappointment across the board. Uh, but, but Nadim, I'd love to get your thoughts on kind of how the car this week and the setup affected, you know, they're riding a little bit higher. They had a bigger uh, wing on. What, what did you make of the, the, the spec changes and, and what would you say is the biggest issue that could have possibly have happened between the last two weeks where they're just absolutely gunning it and in, into pole position and, and this past week where they, you know, just kind of the bottom fell out. Yeah. So like the, the bigger wing, and the car riding a little higher makes it a lot more draggy. Um, so you're creating this, this drag effect on your car. What Now, whether you need it or not, that's a good question. Um, I don't know why they made it that draggy. And this also goes back to, God, I wish they could get a chance to change or alter their angles after the sprint race. But that's a different conversation. 
So, yeah, I think that bigger wing caused a lot of drag. The drag then caused the tires to burn up, and the degradation was horrible on the tires. Uh, the ground effect wasn't working, and they weren't getting enough suction to where they can have that low pressure and the high pressure on the floor of the car to be able to suck the car down so they can take those high-speed turns. And so now you're relying completely on the mechanical grip of the tire versus the aerodynamic effect of also having that sucking effect where the car is being sucked to the ground and being held on uh, by that air pressure. So I think both of that really did cause a problem for them. Though I also um, read up on the fact that they said they they ran the same exact setup they did at Coda and Mexico. And they're puzzled as to why this was happening and they didn't have an answer. And that out of all the things is I think what jumps out the most to me. How can you not, how is it that you have no idea where to start, you know, to, to somewhat root cause this problem? That's, that's, that was a bit flabbergasting to me. Um, so, yeah, I think those are the two pieces with Mercedes that um, I would say cause the issue, but then you don't really have a root cause, you know, on a high level. However, there was no pace and that, that's, that's something that's, that's very interesting. And then to hear Toto say, this car doesn't uh, doesn't deserve a win this late in the season is not something that is positive for any Mercedes fan. I mean, now this is season two. Season one, uh, last season was where you came up with the zero pod design. This season you came up with the zero pod design then altered it. Things got a little better and now things have gotten very bad. How do you, how do you sort that out? And how, how do you figure that this car doesn't deserve a win? There's got to be something you need to be able to carry over because restarting from scratch is going to be really, really, really hard given the cap cost and, the, and you know the budget that they have. So something has to kind of build on something. And I wonder what that thing is for them because I don't know if they know themselves. Let me know what you guys think. Um, back to your point about um, Mercedes kind of like running the same setup and not really knowing what to do. Honestly, I think this is just a, a symptom of Mercedes being so dominant for so long that they don't know what to do when they're not in front. Because, you know, when you're like, like if we're, if you're at Red Bull's pace compared to the rest of the field and you're winning every race by 30 seconds and all of a sudden you're not like, you don't know what to fix to gain those like tents anymore because you didn't have to think about that before because you were just so far ahead of the field. And they were that far ahead of the field for eight years in a row. And so all of a sudden when they found themselves behind like Lewis, like before the season started two years ago, he's like, my team doesn't make mistakes. It's like all of a sudden you need the strategist. You need someone who knows how to raid every different track, like how your car performs on different tarmacs, different altitudes and stuff like that. But before their car was just so dominant. So I think they're like learning how to develop the car from behind versus in front. I think it's just been, you know, a bit challenging for them. Plus, they're having lots of different shakeups with all their tech people, engineers, and stuff like that. But yeah, it's hard to be a Mercedes fan right now just because they're they're on the back foot. And I think, uh, like earlier, I said, I think Ferrari's going to overtake them in the championship because I think they're like twenty points behind uh, Ferrari. And I think. Um, <laughs> I think Vegas is going to be a very bad track for Mercedes, uh, given their straight line speed. Vegas is like a bunch of straights. Um, and then if, you know, if they can't make the turns either, then that's a big problem. And I think Abu Dhabi probably has a, a lot of similar traits, um, you know, with a, with a couple straights. And I think they're going to need those speed. And I just don't think as long as Leclerc can avoid bad luck, I think uh, Mercedes is going to have a terrible end of the season, I think. And I hope that they can uh, find their form again next year, but uh, they definitely need to change something. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's tough to be a Mercedes fan right now. I, I, I wanted to see Lewis win a race. It's going to be two years since he's won a race. It's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. The yeah, man I mean, won seven slash eight championships in a row and then hasn't won a race for two years. That's insanity. I mean, Fernando hasn't won a championship in over a decade, you know? And, hey, dude, and Fernando's it's just won how, my heart every race, so 
That's all he needs, yeah. baby. <laughs> you know, it's just how it goes sometimes, right? Um, and this was all happening on the heels of Mike Elliott leaving uh, as or being, you know, uh, I don't know if he was asked to leave or if he left on his own accords, but, you know, they're without a CTO right now. Um, and, and, you know, we talked about James Allison kind of returning to his old role as like the lead technical director. And, and maybe they can pull out something like a W11 back in 2020 that was just an impeccably you know, sound car that just put everyone else to shame to see that kind of car up against the, 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 the Red Bull. I mean, that's, that's pay-per-view right there. You know, uh, that, that's what I want to get to, to see that, to see in the caliber of Ferrari that Seb was driving, uh, that, uh, you know, Kimi was driving, like that would be a one steak sauce, but, you know, this is just, I guess, growing pains for for Mercedes through this year, through last year. Uh, I always say that culture is dictated from the top down, especially you know in any enterprise, but especially in in F one. And I think you know Toto sticking with his team and the concept all the way till the third to last uh, race, where he's like, this car doesn't deserve a win. I think it just kind of signifies that he will have his teams back at all times. So, you know, it keeps his team uh, spirits high, especially during a lull. But at a certain point, you got to be serious. You know, you got to put that black turtleneck back on and, and, you know, really get serious about how you're going to dictate the next couple of years of this, of this uh, organization and what worked earlier, I think what worked earlier was the fact that there really wasn't a budget cap. You know, Mercedes was able to kind of just throw a lot of money and create this incredible machine. Now you have to kind of play by certain parameters where you have to double down on your technical expertise. You got to be able to be malleable and, and really react to the data and both drivers. Another thing that went awry, I think, was early on when Russell was asking the team, hey, is this, you know, can we race together in a way to 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 potentially you know get help each other out uh i think lewis tried as best as he could but russ was having issues of his own with his car so he was having a hard time keeping up i think you know it's the same tactic that signs deployed in in uh singapore i just don't think it was the right time for for them this time i think since russ did have a little bit more pace on hamilton towards like lap i believe like lap 10 or or you know Hamilton pitted in lap 18. So between laps 10 and 18, he should just let Russell kind of take over and and fight for whatever they could. Um, I I just think it was a poor strategy on top of everything else that went wrong this, this week. So, you know, disappointing in the fact that Brazil is typically a place we like to see Mercedes. It's a place where Hamilton does really well, where George has been, you know, did really well last year. Uh, Hamilton's an honorary Brazilian. So all of that put together just made for uh, kind of heightened the disappointment of the week. Any other thoughts, guys, on Mercedes? Uh, I'm getting sad just thinking about it. Well, it almost sounds like Mike Elliott leaving was a huge distraction and no one was focused on the race, the strategy, how to set up the car. It just seemed like disparate thoughts. Let's put this together and see what we can do. And I think going back to what Chris was saying, they are not Mercedes is it's kind of showing on situations like this when that they don't know how to win a race from the back foot. They've been so used to being up ahead all the time that they they took it for granted and now they're realizing that it's the competition and the degree of precision needed just to even get second place is extremely hard and need to be very well fine-tuned for that. I mean, happened to the Yankees, happened to Golden State Warriors, now it's happening to Mercedes. Well, you, you know that scene in a horror movie where you think the bad guy's dead and then comes back later on? Well, I'm going to bring <laughs> up the spirit race again because I definitely think that that plays a factor here, given that they get one practice session and then go straight into the shit and they're in Park Fermi for the rest of the weekend. Like, imagine if you realize that you've set your car up wrong in the sprint race and you're like, well, we're stuck with this for the rest of the weekend. I think that's really, uh, I think that is the one major change that they need to make. I think there needs to be two park firmates for the weekend, one for the sprint, one for the race, and, you know, allow people to make those changes because, you know, they would have probably put a different wing on or maybe lowered the ride height and risked, you know, the, the four again, like who knows, but obviously I, I think that played a factor here. So I think it was just a perfect storm of, 
you know, Mike leaving, racing on the back foot and, you know, a sprint weekend, all in the same thing, just giving them lots of bad juju and uh, not being able to uh, perform to their level. But I still think that they're going to end up uh, not performing so well for the rest of the year. And hopefully they throw this car into a box, crumple it up and start fresh um, and, you know, have a really very large catering budget next year. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot yeah. of schnitzels. And, and take Maybe a slap on the wrist. Can help. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing is that, so the power units are good. I mean, clearly look at Norris, look at Alonzo, look at Stroll. The power units are doing their things. You know, Oscar Piastri, like if you look at Mercedes all across the grid, the power units are good. It's not the power units. It's whatever they're doing in terms of aerodynamics. There's a lack of understanding of some form of the the setup of the car and how you, you you should tailor it to each track. And I don't know how they miss that. That's that's I think this is something, and you're right, it goes back to the sprint. Once you're locked in, that's it. If it's a shitty setup, that's it. It's gonna be a struggle of a race. And I think that's exactly what Mercedes saw. Percent. Well, that was that was fun for me to go through. Uh, let's talk about predictions for for next week. We're going to be in Las Vegas. It's going to be a novel race. Um, it's going to be pretty much a square with sixteen chicanes. Uh, a lot of money, right? A lot of money. A lot of eyeballs. Uh, again, guys, you know we've talked about this at length. How does Vegas sports betting affect the landscape of F one? Uh, and you'd be stupid to not think that when the leadership of F1 is in Vegas, that they're not rubbing elbows with the leadership of MGM, of DraftKings, of like all these different betting platforms. So let's make some predictions here, guys. I, I got some bold, not so bold, but but just kind of given the, the layout of the track. Uh, my prediction is that Verstappen and Perez is going to get P1, P2. I think Perez is driving for his life uh, at this point. And I think Carlos Sainz is going to be able to to kind of tick in there at P3. Um, he, you know, Sainz actually had a really great race this week, uh, kind of, you know, went unnoticed. He made some really great overtakes uh, to get, I believe he was in P6 uh, at the end of it. So, yeah, those are going to be my top three uh, uh, drivers for, for or predictions for Vegas. Uh, Nadim, who do you got going? I have Verstappen. Um, I mean, there's nothing that can stop that car. Um, Alonso, that's going to be my, let's see how this works out. And Alonso is coming off of a, a hell of a ch- uh, battle uh, coming P2 in, in Brazil. And let's see if he can carry that momentum on. I, he's got the experience. The car is looking good. And then Norris. Norris has been, for the past three or four races, working his way through the traffic and consistently showing up in the top three. So um, those are my top three to round out. Well, I have a shocker for you because I love Max Verstappen, and I think this is going to be the first race where he has a mechanical failure. The car has been way too dominant. It's been way too perfect. And uh, there's a lot of eighth gear pinned running down this track. And I think there's going to be expect the unexpected in Vegas. A lot of people are going to lose a lot of money betting on him. And uh, I'm going to go for a Norris Alonso signs podium with Nor- Lando Norris getting his first win in Las Vegas. Crosses my fingers. But, uh, yeah, uh, I think if um, if Max finishes his last two races, it'll be the first time in F1 history a car has gone the entire season without a failure. And uh, I, you know, he's already broken every record in the book. So let's just hope. I don't totally expect it to happen, but... Um, if it's going to happen anywhere, it's going to be in Vegas. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to make a bold prediction. No max on the podium, um, but we'll see. Yeah, so um, I-, I wanted to just kind of add the fact that Vegas is going to be at a really weird time. Uh, the qualifying is going to be at 2 a.m. Saturday, and then um, it's going to go into the race at at. I guess was technically 12 a.m. going into Sunday morning. Uh, and we're, we're central time here in, in Texas. So 12 to 2 a.m. Sunday morning is when we're going to be up and at them watching an American race. So I don't really know why that happened the way that it did. But, you know, Vegas is a, is a night 
town. So I assume that this is the, the, the most optimal time for them to be having a race in the desert. Dude, I knew these times were crazy, but I really didn't know that qualifying was going to be at 2 a.m. Central time. That's crazy. I was going to say the same thing. I was going to say, what, 2 a.m.? I was like, are you sure you're reading that right? Yeah, it starts at yep. midnight. Let's go. That's insanity. That is insane. The race starts at I 12 a.m. It's, it's essentially a worse time slot for American viewers than watching a European uh, uh, <laughs> or, or an Asian, you know, race, which I, I just think is is so funny and so indicative of, of FIA and, and F1 and and their ability to to organize things in, in the weirdest ways possible. Is there a way to bet on the body count at the Vegas Grand Prix? Like, how many people are going to die that night with, like, the I mean, race getting over at 2, 2.30 in the morning? People are going to be wasted. <laughs> it's a really bad idea. <laughs> this is all bad ideas. Uh, i'm glad we're going to be watching it from the comfort of our homes uh far away but yeah well this is going to be a very crazy experiment and they're locked into this what till 20 28 or something further i don't know i think we'll see what happens vegas uh it's gonna be fantastic yeah only in vegas right only in vegas it's so like like this is exactly what you would expect out of a vegas race yeah. yeah, just a crazy time. There's a lot of shows going on. I think there's a fight happening, like a UFC fight and a boxing fight, I think, happening uh, in Vegas uh, next weekend as well. So it's just going to be a lot of shit going on in Vegas, and the Uber prices are going to be so high, and I'm hoping that everyone pays for it. Um, so that's our episode, guys. Chris, take us out. Uh, I'm going to add one little thing. I'm just super happy that Danny Rick is going to get to race Vegas. Cause I don't know if you remember that clip from a long time ago, they're interviewing Lewis Hamilton and Danny Ricardo. And they asked like, if you could have one thing in F1, what would it be? And Lewis said a race in Miami and Danny Rick said a race in Vegas. And then Danny Rick lost his seat. And I was like, no, just as they announced Vegas Grand Prix. And so super happy for the guy. I get to drive down the strip in an F1 car. Uh, not many people will ever get to say they get to do that. Uh, I think the the list will be 20 at the most. So uh, super cool. But yeah, thanks guys uh, for totally listening. We're, we're super excited to do this for you guys every week. Uh, Nadim, it's been a pleasure having you three weeks in a row. Um, super happy to, to continue to do this. And yeah, give us a like, give us a follow. Um, send us some feedback at fanteamradio.gmail.com. And, you know, we hope to see you here every week for the next foreseeable future. Cool. See you in Vegas, everyone. Bye. See you in Vegas. All right. Vegas it is.